I'm sure Aaron will. Um, okay, if you have your Bibles or some sort of Bible app or something like that, go ahead and turn to First Peter. We're going to be continuing from where we left off last two weeks ago um, in verse 13. If you can't find Peter, it's past Hebrews and James in the New Testament. Maybe a thumbs up from people when they get there. Chapter 1 still, yeah. Chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. Okay, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory Like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word, to look at what you have spoken to us through the hands of Peter. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage and as we uh, discern what it's saying to us that it would just be truth upon truth and that we would hold that dear to our hearts. Would you help us to take and apply um, your word into our lives faithfully and um, quickly? And yes, Lord, we thank you for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember when my younger cousin Jensen was first born. It was really exciting news because uh, before that, it was just me and my other cousin, and it, it was just us two and a whole extended family of just girl cousins, and we were the only two guys, and so it was just kind of me and him against the world. But when Jensen was born, we got really excited because we knew that there was going to be another boy. There was going to be another uh, guy to go you know, pick on the girls with and stuff like that. And he's, as he grew up, um, it became more and more clear that he wanted to do what we did. He wanted to act like us. He wanted to uh, say the things that we said, for better or for worse. And he wanted to ultimately just be like us in the way he lived. And it wasn't that we were like great influences or anything. We were just kind of the big kids that he looked up to. And I remember every time he would come over to my house, uh, he just completely ignored my parents went straight to me and just asked me if we could go upstairs and play with my Nerf guns. And, um, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess we got a lot of Nerf in, but it's Nerf or nothing, right? So, um, but likewise, I also recall growing up and, and my own father, um, 
I would do the same thing, right? I would want to act like him because I looked up to him. We'd be sitting on a bench or something and he would lift up his leg to put it over his knee, right? And then I would do the exact same thing or he would put his hands behind his head like this and then, I don't know, when you're a kid, you don't really ever feel the need to stretch or anything, but still, right? I would do one of these and um, just because I wanted to do what he did, I wanted to act like he did and that still goes on today, right? The very pattern that he uses to mow the lawn, the inward spiral, right? That's the exact same one that I do and I'll probably do it for the rest of my life. Why? Because I look up to him. He's a good dad. Um, You know, why did Jensen look up to my cousin and I? Because, I don't know, he looked up to us. And even though his mom wasn't a huge fan of all the Nerf guns or the airsoft eventually, um, he still just wanted to be like us because we were the older guys. And so the point is that we share a father who is perfect and holy worthy of imitation, who we should desire to be like. In this passage, Peter's actually showing us that as Christians, we are called unto holiness because we have a father who is holy. So before we get into this actual passage that we just read, let's take a couple steps back really quick. Two weeks ago, we kind of introduced this book. It's by... um, the apostle Simon Peter, the very Peter who walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus. And we, uh, we know that it's written to the elect exiles of the dispersion, meaning that these people, though they might have lived in this place their whole life, they are exiles because they are not in heaven, which is their true home. And so we know that we are also exiles here on this earth. And um, so that's who it's written to. So with that in mind, Look at verse 2 of chapter 1 really quickly. Um, This will kind of help us figure out how to posture ourselves for this passage. It says, This whole book is written according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. The foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification is a fancy word for removing sin from your life. Right? That is the purpose of this book, is to encourage sanctification, the removal of sin. This is what we're going to be looking at further along in this passage. Um, but draw your attention to right after that, for the obedience to Jesus Christ. For obedience to Christ. Why are we sanctified? Why is Peter writing this? For obedience to Christ. Why are we saved? Why are we born again? What is the point of doing anything? It's to obey Christ. And the sprinkling with his blood is um, covenant words to uh, indicate that we are truly born again into a new covenant with Christ that says that there is nothing that we do of our own works that saves us, but by the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved. So with that in mind, this sort of, uh, this sort of mindset of pursuing obedience, right, the whole point of this sort of passage that we're looking at is to pursue holiness, which is, uh, stems from obedience, then we know that this passage is going to tell us how to do that. Well, there's three, right? There's three main commands that Peter gives in this passage, and we'll look at each of those individually. But first, um, let's actually go to the first verse of the passage we read. So verse 13, 
and look at it one more time. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, say your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or the King James Version, instead of preparing your minds, it says, gird up the loins of your minds. Right? This, is, this is a way of saying, it's saying, um, get ready for hard work or for battle. Right? This is, get ready for the worst. Get ready for, to experience something that you're not going to expect. It's the very words that Moses used in um, Exodus 12.11 when he's talking to the Israelites on how to prepare the Passover meal. Right before the final plague comes through Egypt, while the people are still in bondage, Moses is saying, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. He's saying, be ready, eat this meal with haste because you need to be prepared for what's about to happen. We're about to be delivered from this bondage of the Egyptians. God is about to show his promise coming to fruition. So with this in mind, um, it seems kind of necessary to be reading this passage of 1 Peter with some urgency. Right? Because I think it's really easy to kind of talk about a message about holiness. But um, I mean, I know at least this was always going through my mind when I was sitting where you guys said, it's like, okay, yeah, but this is kind of, you know, the teenage years. I'm, I'm kind of expected to be rebellious. You know, I'm kind of expected to make my mistakes now so that when I'm older and I have kids or a wife or whatever, and I, I have to actually be an adult, then that's when I'll actually kind of pull myself together. But with this in mind, with this preparing your minds for action, I would like you to try to cast out those thoughts and intake this passage with direct application um, to the now in your life. It says, be sober-minded, put hope in grace that will be brought to you. This is the grace that we talked about two weeks ago. This is the living hope that we are born again into. This is the drive for how Christians pursue through trials. This is the drive for how Christians uh, live in exile on this world. And it is also the drive for the rest of this passage. So let's look at verse 14. We see the first of the commands that Peter kind of gives. And it's, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you as holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That is Peter's command. So what is conform? Well, by definition, it means to pattern one, one's actions to something, right? Or you can conform to anything. You can conform in good ways. You can conform in bad ways. You can conform to society. That just means following what one another is doing. I remember when AirPods first came out, I thought they were the stupidest looking things. I thought that, you know, those are just made to get lost. Like, they're just, they're, there's no strings on them. And I mean, I don't, how do you keep track of those, you know? So I thought that they were dumb. And then one of my friends got it, and I thought he was kind of silly for that. And then um, more and more people started getting it. And fast forward one year later, and I had my own pair. I was going to bring them to be like, a little like joke, I pulled it out of my pocket, but I forgot them. So, but that's what I'm saying. It's like the, the whole point is when people start to do things as a, you know, in a society and people start kind of branching off of each other and they just kind of follow one another because it's a way of kind of fitting in, right? 
or it makes you more comfortable to do what other people are doing. And it can be a very dangerous thing. Conform to former passions. And what's bad about passions? I mean, sometimes passions can be really good things. But whenever Peter uses the word passions, it is actually always in reference to sinful pleasures. It's always in reference to sinful pleasures. The passions of your former ignorance, the passions of this world. Peter understands the intrigue of this world. I mean, it's a world that sees nothing wrong with over-sexualizing every single advertisement on TV. It's a world that sees nothing wrong with, with drinking when you're feeling kind of down. I mean, trust me, just go to college and that's all you see. It's a world that defines manhood by, uh, by being angry and being big and being scary when that's the very thing that Paul rebukes in Timothy. It's a world that defines womanhood as how much skin do you show when that's also rebuked in 1 Timothy. And this is the world that we live in. Peter is aware and he's telling us that we are not called to be partakers of this. And this is his warning and his command that this is the world, this is the ways of our former ignorance before Christ interceded in our lives. Or you think about Paul on his road to Damascus, and he's on the road, and Christ comes down, right? He says, hey, your name's Paul now, not Saul, and you're not going to persecute Christians anymore. You're going to follow me, and you're going to become the greatest evangelist on earth. What would you think if Paul walked away from that and just kind of said, yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Saul because everyone kind of knows me as Saul, and like it would be really confusing if they didn't, or if I changed my name in the middle of this whole thing, or or what if he said, I think I'm going to kind of keep persecuting Christians because it's actually pretty stable and uh, it would probably be kind of dangerous to kind of turn on my entire, uh, you know, people that know me. We know that's not the case because you know this because if Jesus has interceded in your heart and if he has begun to change your heart, then you know that there is uh, there's this 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 transformation that comes from grace that, that leaves behind the old self. It completely abandons it. This is the, uh, the, the former ignorance that Peter is talking about. He's saying, don't live like you used to. And don't pattern your life after others who don't know Christ. Why? Because oftentimes, it's not even what the person is doing that is necessarily wrong, but it's the motivation People can do great things for the wrong motivation. Because he says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. He doesn't say, as he who is moral, you also be moral. Or as he who says nice things to people, you also say nice things to people. He says, as he who is holy, you also be holy. So what is holiness? Holiness is the separation from sin for the devoted glory to God. It's the what and the why. Separation from sin, why? Because you delight to walk with the Lord day and night. So as a child imitates his or her parents in an attempt to be just like them, so should it be our heart's desire to live according to Christ in pursuit of holiness. Holiness. 
And the beginning of this is to forget the ways of your former ignorance, to put those aside, to not conform to those passions. So that's the first command. Let's look at verse 17 for the second. It says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with the fear or with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you're ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. We must understand holiness to then understand what a healthy fear of God looks like. Now, sometimes uh, uh, like God-fearing or, or fear of God, this is something that is pretty confusing to a lot of people. In his commentary of this passage, R.C. Sproul says this, We are to conduct ourselves throughout the time of our stay on earth in fear. Not the servile fear that a prisoner has for his torturer, but the filial fear that a child has for his parents, whom he respects. This is a fear of offending, disappointing, or misrepresenting. A fear born in reverence and a spirit of adoration. So if you didn't get that, this isn't an abusive father-son-slash-daughter relationship that we have with God. And it doesn't provoke running away. And actually, uh, the more you learn how to fear the Lord reverently and humbly, it actually draws you towards him. Because this is a God that we know is for us. So this second command that is conduct yourselves with fear, what does this have to do with holiness? Well, you can have all the accountability in the world. You can be in every single prayer group and you can go to every single church service. But the only way that your heart will ever desire Christ over this world is if you are God fearing. So if you see God for who he truly is, the power that he has, and the joy that he brings. It's a fear that drowns out other fears. Right? Not only is Peter saying, conduct yourself in fear for the Lord, but he's implying when he says this that don't fear anything else. Right? Don't fear being, fate, being made fun of. Don't fear mockery. Don't even fear death. Why? Because they can't remove our living hope. They just can't. To live as Christ and to die as gang, right? When you start to um, understand that, oh, actually, let's look at verse 18 first. Verse 18 says, uh, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Right? This reveals to us the cost of our salvation. The, the perfect and spotless lamb who died, right? So once you understand just how, like, like this isn't free sort of grace. This is, this was bought. We were ransomed. This is costly. This is the lamb who died 
without blemish or spot, lived perfect and holy life. The only one who could possibly save and didn't deserve to die, did die so that hellbound sinners like me and you could be saved. And when you start to understand this and you start to see your own sin and the weight of your sin and how actually detrimental and how powerful uh, that kind of was to you before you knew Christ, then you say in Isaiah 6, 5, along with him, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live a people, among a people of unclean lips. A fear of the Lord, a true fear, a humble fear of the Lord stems from an understanding of just how sinful we are and how righteous God is. This is a God who uh, judges impartially, right? He doesn't pick favorites. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, you know, look past certain things that people did and say like, oh, well, it's Christmas. We'll just let him be saved, right? No, this is a perfectly righteous judge who in his righteousness sent his son to die that we might be saved. It's a popular misconception among Christians that uh, we were bought out of the slavery of sin and, and are now our own person with no consequences, no rules, no master. But this is a very dangerous way of thinking. Yes, we were purchased by the blood of Christ, which is not perishable like silver or gold. And no, we are not slaves to sin anymore, but we are not our own. We are Christ. So someone who decides to not live conducting themselves in a fearful way of the Lord is saying that they think that they are their own. That there is no point to doing uh, any of this obedience stuff because uh, they know that the gospel is a gospel of grace and that they... Uh, you know, that they're saved and that there's nothing that they could have done and all that. But listen, if you are a God-fearing Christian, then you will live in such a way that you know that you are not your own, you are Christ. So fear the Lord in all of your life, which is the time of your exile. The third point, commandment, I guess, command, <laughs> commandment that Peter gives in um, this passage is in verse 22. So look there, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That is the third command that God gives through the hands of Peter. So we have ill-defined the word love so long, but I really like the way that Tim Keller actually defines it in his book, Jesus the King. He's talking about love, and this is what he says. Or I, don't, I couldn't find the book, but I remember what he kind of says. It's desiring the utmost for someone's soul with no expectation of anything in return. I think that's a great way to define love. Wanting the best for someone without caring what they give you back. That means you love someone. And notice how it says, having purified your souls by your obedience. You'll notice that each of these commands become fruit once you um, sort of 
begin the process of sanctification, these things kind of build off of each other. You begin by stopping conforming to the ways of your former passions. You turn that away. You say you don't want that. And then this leads to a humble fear of God and conducting a life full of that. And then from there, a natural progression is to love one another better. This shows that a sanctification in the heart of a Christian actually leads to a better union of the church. So today we love to replace the word love with niceness. Like I, I mean, that's not the right replacement, but you know what I mean? Like we say the word love too much, right? And we, we, I mean, it's in movies. You see it all the time. Like people say they love each other and it's just like, okay. And then, like in relationships, you know, maybe in your own relationship or the one around you, you, you just spit that word out. And I mean, maybe some of it's true, I hope, but man, we overuse it. We abuse that word um, and it has just completely lost the weight that it deserves. When you say you love somebody, when, when somebody loves you, this word has a lot of weight. When you think of loving someone as just being nice to them, if that's how you define love, as just being nice to them, oh, I'm loving this person because I'm being really nice to them, that actually a lot of times stems from a selfish part of your heart. I remember a couple years ago when I first moved into the house I lived in for the past two years. And for the first time I met uh, my roommate, Sam, and um, we got along really well. Uh, It was a... Great time. We, um, you know, just became good friends instantly. And, um, and we were all Christian guys, so we all had that in common. And the, first, the, very, the very first night that we were uh, in the same room, he was in the bunk above me, I was below him. We were laughing. We were kind of sharing stories. We were joking around. It was like 2 a.m. We had the night giggles, whatever. And so we were just like going back and forth, right? And then I remember... I said a joke that was pushing it a little bit. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like, it didn't feel like it was like that bad, but it definitely was a little inappropriate. And, um, but I mean, what do you expect when, when, uh, when you say a joke, right? What's the nice reaction? A laughter, right? Even if you don't think it's funny, uh, you still spit out some sort of pity laugh or something like that, right? Just to make the person feel good. That's the nice thing to do. That's the nice response. Dead silence for like 20 seconds, and I was confused. And then I heard his voice, and he said, hey, man, we probably shouldn't joke like that. Man, I take things really personally, so uh, even though I knew, like, he was probably right, I was just like, I didn't say any of this out loud, but I was just like, dude, like, like you haven't joked like that before. Like, like you, you know, haven't said something like that, like, kind of like just a party pooper sort of, feeling, and I know that's the sinfulness of my heart, but, um, but by the next morning, I realized how thankful I was that he would say something like that. I mean, this guy knew me for about a day, and he just decided to rebuke me. But it was out of love, right? I mean, what did he have to gain? He got an awkward silence after that, but that's not something to look forward to. The reason he said that was because he had a concern for me. It was because I said something that was probably unhealthy for me to say. And 
He loved me enough to tell me. That was after one night. Love is not this thing that uh, magically develops over a couple years, especially between Christians. It can be immediate. And that is a very um, kind of minuscule example. Let's look to Jesus for a second. What if Jesus kind of came down 2,000 years ago? What if he said, no need to intervene on these hellbound people because I'm pretty sure that they would just kind of get mad at me if I try to say anything. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't like it if I try to correct them. I'm pretty sure they'd get kind of offended. If that was the Jesus of the Bible, none of us would be saved and it would be a very different world today. But luckily... We have a Jesus who came down, who actually rebuked the spiritual leaders of the time, who told them that they were doing things wrong, and who walked to the cross, and who gave his life selflessly. He had absolutely nothing to gain. He was perfectly obedient to the Father, and he died on the cross that we might be saved. Why? What did he have to gain? Absolutely nothing. But he desired the utmost for our souls. He loved us that much. And Jesus is the perfect example of selfless love. So anytime you're among Christians, think of this gospel love that Christ, that Christ displayed on the cross. What's the why? What's the why? Why love one another? Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. If I counted all the times that Peter said imperishable in this chapter, it would probably be like, four or three, but still that's a lot of times to say that word that isn't like super common, right? If you recall him talking about our heavenly inheritance that we receive, he uses very personal language. He's saying you specifically receive this heavenly inheritance, right? He's not, I'm not saying like all of you like receive this one heavenly inheritance, like Sammy, you and Bryce, you and just everyone receives a heavenly inheritance unique to them with God. That is between you and God. That is a very personal and cool thing that Peter talks about two weeks ago. But now he's being a little bit more broad. He seems to be stressing in this point the eternal nature of fellowship which all Christians will share. He's saying love one another selflessly and earnestly because... These are your brothers and sisters that you will share the glory of God with in heaven for all eternity. These are your people. And this is a warning. A Christian life that is individualistic and not immersed in fellowship is a Christian life that is in danger. Right. And that is a warning or... I guess more of a caution to you if you don't really like to hang out with a lot of people, but also to you who do hang out with a lot of people, who notice someone that doesn't hang out with a lot of people. It is your job to love them. So this is our, uh, this is this is the bond that we have together, right? We have the shared living hope that is in Christ. He ends with. This section from Isaiah says, 
Um, in verse 24, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word that, that uh, doesn't wither like grass, this is the word of salvation. This is the word that has the message of the gospel, which we talked about two weeks ago is an absolute privilege to behold, to even lay our eyes upon. This is the word that doesn't ever go away. This is imperishable. This is the word that, um, that uh, in Psalm 119 is guarding us, right? This is the word of God, and this is the word that each one of you is holding And this is the word that Peter commands us through on how to pursue holiness. So all of this, everything that I just said, everything that Peter just kind of uh, displayed here is completely dependent on a heart that is being changed and sanctified. If Christ has not intervened in your life, if you have not uh, become a Christian, if, if there's no change there, then there will be no desire to pursue holiness. There will be no desire for an application in this, of this in your life. But if Christ has begun that work in you, and Paul tells us in Philippians that he will bring it to completion. Right, This work of sanctification is a process. It's a long journey. And sometimes it's daunting because sometimes pursuit of holiness feels like it's kind of a road to nowhere. It sometimes does because, let's be honest, you can do some good things. You can, you know, uh, like knock out a bunch of sin in your life, but you'll never be sinless. You'll never be Jesus. And so if this is your thought process, if this is your thought process of, okay, but, you know, if I'm never going to get to 100% until I die and and, am with God, then what's even the point, right? Because everyone dies anyway and all that then I'm sorry, but out of love, I'm going to have to rebuke you because that is one of the selfish ways we kind of view this pursuit of holiness. See, pursuing holiness is not about achieving a certain morality. It's not about achieving a certain standing or a certain, like, you know, this high up or anything like that. Pursuit of holiness is about one thing and one thing only, and that is Glorifying God with our utmost ability. That is the point and that is the purpose. I think it's cool visual to see how we can pattern our lives after those we look up to. And I mean, it's really good, right? To, to kind of like see the good things that maybe your friends or mentors or pastors or family or cousins or whatever do. It's a good thing, right? To kind of follow someone if they're living godly lives and to kind of try to um, imitate that a little bit. But listen, to strive for holiness, wouldn't it make more sense to pattern our lives after Christ? First, look to Christ. Try to pattern your life after Christ. Because I'll prove it to you right now. He did not conform to the former passions or the world, we could say. He did not, or or he did conduct himself with fear to God. And he did love people earnestly and selflessly. Didn't conform to the world. Matthew 21, 12. He's overturning tables. He's saying, you have turned my father's house into a thief of dens. He's rebuking them. Because he's not going to conform to this world. 
conducting himself in fear. Isaiah 11, two through three about Jesus is prophesying about him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And then loving people earnestly, selflessly. We already talked about how Christ came, had nothing to gain, willingly walked to the cross, was crucified and hung there, was, uh, and took the full wrath of God and died and um, took on our sin, a selfless love. It's daunting to start this pursuit of holiness. It's scary. And it's, it's big things. It's not just straight applications that you just, you know, can write on paper. But I like what Carl said this morning. If you were in church, he kind of talked about what is the first step? He was talking about how his words, they come from your heart. What is the first step to actually doing this? The first step is repentance. So if you want to start this today, or if you want to figure out what's the next step, start with repentance. Go to the Lord, understanding your sin, understanding that you need to change, understanding that you need to be sanctified. Go to him and say, I am low and you are high. Change me and shape me to be more like your son. So because we have a God who is perfectly holy, so too should we strive to live a holy lifestyle by separating from sin for the glory to God alone. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we come as sinful people, Lord, in need of your grace, in need of your sanctification. Would you open up our hearts? Would you change our hearts and would you tune them to your grace or would you help us to desire you over the ways of this world over the ways of our former ignorance lord would you help us to fear you would you help us to love one another like your son who died on the cross jesus we ask that you would continue to sanctify our hearts we ask that you would reveal to us our sin that we can cut out. And we admit, Lord, we, we need your grace. So would you pour into our lives? Would you um, change our hearts? And would you help us to live in accordance with your word, Lord? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.